And welcome to another edition of Go Big 12 or Go Home. I'm Brandon Shanahan, joined with Iowa broadcasting legend Drew Russell, as always. Drew, what a weekend of college football. How are you hanging in there? You know, we are a third of the way through the season, Brandon. I am on life support in terms of how my teams are doing personally, but the entertainment level through this college football season has been out freaking standing and it did not disappoint once again in the big 12 this weekend i mean outstanding stuff all 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 in all um but first i mean how good is is the pac-12 this year (laughs) kind of a shame they're uh, breaking up that league isn't it like i know it's it's kind of interesting they're a lot of fun like they've got teams that are pretty entertaining usc gets a big nice win over colorado team that's blowing me always washington Washington, they're just killing everybody right now. And then you have Oregon that's doing damage. Washington State, Oregon State are both pretty salty top 20 teams. That's a fun conference. And it's, to put it bluntly, and I'm aware the Big 12 is going to get some great talent from the Pac-12 mm-hmm. next year. But uh, yeah, it is kind of sad when you see like a conference that's like, you know, on paper, this conference should be doing a lot better. And that's what happened here. Yeah, you know, and I know this isn't how television contracts work, and there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes than I realize. But like, if they could, if the Pac-12 could have just stuck together for like six more weeks, I mean, there'd be a bidding war going on. You got Coach Prime, you got Lincoln Riley, uh, Caleb Williams. Is he gonna go? Is he gonna stay? Uh, I, Caleb DeBoer is running stuff so great up there in in, uh, in Seattle. Even teams like Washington State and Oregon State are looking really good so far. Utah's are, are are always going to be well coached. I mean, if you just like six more weeks, and this would be the most valuable conference um, outside of maybe the SEC. It, it, exactly, and on paper, it should be. I mean, they've got some major media markets across the board. When you look at those Pac-12 schools, they have, in general, pretty engaged fan bases. Southern California teams have engaged fan bases. The Pacific Northwest does. Colorado's has been growing. Even the two Arizona schools have usually a pretty solid fan base. So great fan bases throughout. But it really shows what poor upper leadership can do to any organization and the Pac-12 if you're looking at it from a collegiate athletic standpoint is a prime example of that uh, conference that truly was considered one of the premier conferences you know less than 10 years ago 10 plus years ago and they have so many big brands but the problem is they made a couple bad television deals where no one could see their product ever I think that hurt recruiting it hurt their football profile from a national standpoint they weren't winning uh, national championships and that stuff does matter. And eventually, uh, that lack of exposure forced, well, the two California, Southern California schools to look at all their options. They got the into the Big Ten. And then all of a sudden, those dominoes started to fall pretty quickly. And it's it, it's so interesting because, and trust me, we, we know a little something about poor management, poor leadership at, at the top of organization structure. They can really just deflate the whole operation and the Pac-12, I think, is a prime example of that. And just and like even as bad of a disaster as the Pac-12 network was, which we talked about in theory, they were still like given an opportunity. They they were first up for contract negotiations, and ESPN offered them the same deal that the Big 12 had, the same deal that essentially saved the Big 12. Um, 
and then they they thought that they could get so much more going elsewhere and then the big 12 took that took up the, the last bit of the crumbs and left pac 12 in in the dark and it's just it, it's heartbreaking because it's like these these fan bases, these schools, these athletes, even these coaches, they're not involved in that. And they're not, you know, it, they're, they're, they're going to be the big losers here. Obviously, you know, the, the schools in and of itself um, are going to suffer from it. But the, the executives who kind of making these calls on, on these schools' behalves are the ones who are kind of, you know, playing the pawns. And it's it's unfortunate that it's come to this point, especially with the conference that's been you know kind of gearing up for such an electric season. And ah oh man, it would just it, it's such a, a refreshing pace of of college football having those West school, Coast schools out there and seeing what what they're able to put together and kind of how they're able to you know they've been very active in the transfer portal and even yep. teams like Washington State picked up. Uh, picked up their quarterback from, 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 from the transfer portal and Oregon state's got their quarterback from the transfer portal. And, you know, I mean, I get, I get we already have a conference that doesn't play defense in the sec, but I mean, the offense in the PAC 12 is just another, another level of, of outstanding stuff. So it's, it's real heartbreaking breaking to see how good that conference is and how it won't even exist this time next year. I know. And it, I mean, we've talked about the swan song of it for a couple of different podcasts, but you look at how strong it looks this year, how entertaining it's been in general, and it is a shame that it's breaking up. And for the Big Ten, they are getting four outstanding schools into their conference next year. Now, logistically and travel-wise, it still makes no sense uh, at all uh, when you look at potential travel. And I'm not even that worried about football because... It might be a couple times a year, three times a year, once a week deal. I'm looking at other sports of those schools that are going to be a, maybe a bigger problem going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's an addition for the Big 12 where they're getting four, I think, really interesting schools. And what's really interesting is Oregon State and Washington State, they're trying to make one final swan of like, hey, we yeah. are productive football programs. Bring us into your conference. And you know, a lot of it does come down to how much fan, you know, what's that fan base exposure? What's that revenue? Uh, but in terms of on-field product right now, both schools have legitimate cases for sure. And it's pretty wild that there's a pretty good chance they're going to be left out in the cold. Just uh, very sad stuff going on on the West Coast there more than anything. But another thing I wanted to get your thoughts on here as it's kind of come up recently with a, a couple of different games, um, storming the field. Uh, I feel like it's getting a bad rap online. Folks are, are setting certain criteria for how, for what situations where, where, where storming the field is warranted. Uh, do you have a, a set of criteria that has to be, um, you know, executed before, before going out there? Or, or what does a good storm fielding look like? Well, I mean, they're the, always the obvious cases where if it's a home team that's a big underdog against a top five or 10 or 15 program in the country, no one gives them a chance. They go out and find a way to win. No one on this planet is ever going to have a problem with a great storm field in that situation. After that, it gets a little more of a slippery slope. Uh, you know, it's not the most safe thing on earth, but then again, it is highly entertaining. Ole Miss um, in the SEC was the one that I saw personally this weekend um, where they get that win over LSU. And 
look, you kind of look on paper and I mean, LSU is a really good program, really good, but Ole Miss is pretty good this year too. They're top 20. Um, You know, oftentimes it's just what's that pent up anticipation or frustration or whatever it is for a fan base. You know, part of me says, let the kids have fun. Let the people be the people. You only live once if they want to do it and the school wants to pay the fine. So be it. But I, I'm kind of see if there is some, you know, the gatekeepers yeah, of the, um, you know, of this sto- uh, field storming where, yeah, I mean, I can see it to a point where it can be a little too much at times, but you know what, if it's a big deal to your school to get this victory, like, I just don't see a problem with it. Like, you know, pure hypothetical because they have a losing record, but if university of Arkansas played Alabama in football at home, then beating them in 15, 16, 17 years. And for some reason, Arkansas is ranked top 10. They're both top 10. Arkansas wins. Yeah, I would storm the field. Are you kidding me? Like, we don't beat them. Like, I would understand that pent-up frustration. You know, I say let the kids be kids. But, I, you know, I can see why, to an extent, at times people get frustrated. But I say let people be people. So, I don't know. Let them have fun. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. Like, more than anything, it's just like, let's – these are college kids. They're, they're – they're having a good time. Um, and and vibes for me is is the most important thing. Like, yes, it was only a two and a half point spread, Ole Miss and, and LSU. But the way that that game unfolded and how crazy that was and to kind of win on like a walk-off play, that to me supersedes anything. And granted, also another defensive slugfest in the SEC that we see so often. Just absolutely electric defense. Only 1,300 yards thrown out there. Um just out SEC defense, NFL talents everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, that's so such an electric game. It's a night game. You, you know, you got to imagine these kids have been partying all day, getting ready for this. And then, you know, while it's not necessarily right. an upset, it's a huge game. You, you know, Ole Miss, right. you know, they could fall behind in the SEC race. SEC West doesn't look that strong this year. It's not, you know, crazy to think that Alabama could pick up two losses here against maybe like LSU or A&M and, Ole Miss wins out, then they'll get to go to Atlanta for the first time that I can remember, if ever. Um, so that's a big game, walk off game, exciting. Um, that, that 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 to me is is a no brainer. Um, also, you know, just yeah. thinking back a couple of weeks ago, Colorado won. They stormed the field against Nebraska, which that one I have more of a of an issue with than when they stormed the field against Colorado State as twenty point favorites. But you know, same kind of thing. It's it's a rivalry game. And especially with the way that that game played out, like you hate Colorado State more than you did even coming into the game after, you know, that hit against yeah. Travis Hunter and walk off win. I mean, electric night game. It's midnight in, in Boulder at, as that final play is 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 ending. I mean, that's yeah. it. The vibes are an all time high. I you know, it's yeah, you don't want to storm the field against a 20 point dog. But the way that game unfolded, it absolutely it's, it's a green light for me all the way. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to just, in a lot of ways, you have to let these kids be kids. And I know people can make fun of certain stormings online. They can make fun of it in the media, all that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there are now and then some stormings that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, an example, I think many years ago, Iowa State, Iowa, playing a college basketball game. Iowa State's number four team in the country. Iowa's unranked. They're playing in Ames. Iowa State gets into a big deficit. They're down 20, early second half, place is dead. 
they come roaring back. They trail the whole game. Monty Morris, great player, puts up a floater, puts it in with six seconds left. Iowa missed a couple th- or doesn't get a three off at the or missed a couple threes at the end. Iowa State storms the court as the number four country and as favorites in that game at home. But as crazy as that game was as well, like it was just a wave of emotion for those students. And a lot of Iowa fans made fun of it. They might even have a case. But at the same time, like often it's just emotional. And Colorado, Colorado State's a great example where, shoot, yeah, they're heavy favorites. They probably should win that football game. But you have to let these guys like, look, I can't explain enough. If people want to do it, just let them do it. It's harmless. There's no damage as long as they're not hitting other players or you know doing damage to other players their own team there's i have will never have a problem with storming the field even if sometimes the circumstances don't fully add up at times you know i uh the i think the argument against it is well if, if you if you do it more often it kind of devalues the the, the intensity and i don't think that's true at all because it, it, it's yeah. such a in, in the vacuum kind of thing where it's like I don't think that, and also even in in, in these kind of different and kind of easier uh, criteria to meet events like Colorado, Colorado State, those aren't. I mean, you're not you're not sitting in the crowd thinking, oh well, boy, well here's the last time that we stormed the field here, or well, let me let me calculate the, the point spread to the point victory margin. It's just you're going out there, you're celebrating this win. And no, nothing that has happened before really matters. Nothing that's going to happen in the future matters. All that matters is how great this win is. And yeah, it's a little bit different for for different programs. Um, like, like, uh, like I don't think Georgia would have uh, stormed the field in in that kind of game against um, against anybody that they're a twenty point favorite over. Uh, but Colorado, you know, as, as bad as they've been over the whole course of all of these college kids' careers. And now to kind of have that excitement and, you know, that kind of environment. Yeah, that's a green light to me. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, you got to let kids play. And it's part of the building programs as well. I mean, college campuses, they like this stuff. It makes their place, their college seem more fun. Uh, When you see a court storming or a field storming after a big game, it's part of the atmosphere. And that's the thing about football. It's built up all week. The anticipation's built up all week amongst the community, amongst a fan, amongst a fan base. And no matter how big or small, if it's a crazy win or if it's a win over a major team, if the energy's right, you know, it's tough for me to be against it in a lot of cases. Lots of good stuff going on throughout college football. Also, specifically going on here uh, in in the Big Twelve, um, an interesting week. Um, I think this was probably my worst week picking, but um, tough to tough to get a gauge on, on some of these Big Twelve teams, especially the newer ones like Cincinnati and BYU. I think we had both kind of struggled to to pick this one here with Cincinnati um, having like kind of bounce back, hungry material, uh, while BYU's looked you know better each and every week. And Provo's no joke to, to, to play in. Um, so the Cougars pick up the 35-27 uh, win there in Utah. Um, I'm pretty impressed with, with BYU throughout the season. Uh, fully agree. I, and I've been I've been impressed with them overall, even when they lost to Kansas the week before. I thought, you know, this Cougar team, I think, could really do 
some damage in general. And they were able to, I think, find some productive numbers where you get a couple of touchdown passes from Slovis. You get a decent, a running game that isn't great throughout the night, but a defense that's turnover happy. Max Tooley, 16 tackles on the night as well, Brandon, which is obviously such a good number in general of what he's able to put together. So this BYU team, look, home opener in Big 12 play. Provo had some juice on Friday night. I was able to catch a decent chunk of that game, and there was excitement in Provo, and they really brought it. And Cincinnati, um, shoot, probably one of the toughest conference road environments that they've seen in general, and this is against a new conference. And they battled, I thought, competitively. They had a decent running game and really were able to move the ball offensively, but couldn't find a way to get it done. And for BYU, they keep on racking up wins. And, you know, they've put themselves not only in good position for a bowl game, but maybe a more higher tier bowl game if they can keep finding a way to truck out these wins. Yeah, going into the season, I kind of had high hopes for for Cincinnati and, and UCF to kind of be the, the two teams that I felt comfortable could jump right into a Power 5 conference like the Big 12 and, you know, throw some punches, throw, you know, make some contact there. And, you know, to credit uh, Cincinnati, Emory Jones still had a great game, you know, 256 yards through the air, three touchdowns, mm-hmm. oh, almost 100 yards um, on the ground. So he's looking really good. He's kind of coming into stride, I think. Um and obviously it's a, it's a new coach as well, new, new system. So that it's not them being two and three, isn't crazy to me, but BYU, I mean, so far has looked like the, the, the best of the, of the new four teams. And I'm, I'm here for, it. I think that's a great football program. And I, I think we're in good shape if BYU's kind of beating up on, on those teams as well as competing with the, you know, the, the, the hateful eight. Yeah, you know, I got to say, Brandon, Central Florida was the team I've been all in on, and we'll get to that wild game in just a little bit. But, you know, for BYU, you do have to give them a lot of credit. They they established some credit by going on the road and beating, a, you know, an SEC school in Arkansas, which, you know, they've seen some success the last couple of years. I think that was a big time win. And they've been able to really take care of their business in general, in games, you know, on paper, they have an opportunity to win or should win, and they've been able to do just that. Offense seems to be settling in a little more. Turnovers really were the name of the game, though, in that one is, uh, you know, able to get a key interception, key extra fumble recoveries as well. Cincinnati played a really good football game, kind of a hard luck break right now at 2-3 and three on the season. They're 0-2 in conference play. But a lot of season to go for the Bearcats, and I think still in an to turn things around if you have an offense that's putting up those types of yardage numbers i think they're gonna have a shot to still potentially find a way to bowl eligibility i think so too and speaking of uh byu just a quick little tangent about byu um low uh legend puka nakua for the uh, the los angeles rams might be the waiver wire pickup of the year i wanted to pick up hayden hurst off the wa- waiver wire after his good week in week one but I switched up the uh, the priorities, so I ended up with Puka instead of Hayden Hurst. I mean, outstanding stuff, outstanding stuff from him so far. So, so shout should out we BYU just hand, sh- we should hand you the trophy right now, Brandon? I'm going to tell you right now. Let's give Brandon Shanahan the trophy. That guy has been nothing but gold. Also, sidebar. Let, let, let me pick your brain on the on on this real quick. So, the, my running back room is Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, Javante Williams. I mean, I had Raheem Mostert. I don't have a tight end. 
So I traded Raheem Oster for George Kittle. Is that a very lopsided trade for anybody involved? I think that's pretty even. I mean, because Mozart has to share carries with a a chain. And then even though Kittle hasn't gotten going yet, I guess maybe the the Hawkeye connection with Brock Purdy being a cyclone. There's just this weird fuck. Yeah, maybe there's just a weird vibe there. But Kittle is a good tight end. Like, this is a top tight end in the NFL. So I feel like he's eventually going to eat when I don't know. But on paper, he should. Yeah, I I win this trade eight days a week. But we had two different folks that accused of uh, us colluding. But they couldn't figure out who was the – they couldn't agree on who was the benefactor. Like, like one person was was lobbying that I I got hosed. Then the other person was lobbying that he got hosed. So I, I mean, I think it's a great trade for everybody involved. Um, but just wanted to make sure I wasn't out of my mind here because I was like, "This is you can't play the Denver Broncos every week now." No, you can't. As much as I, I would like that as a uh, suffering Justin Fields owner in a few leagues oh, uh, this year, uh, it was great to see him be productive against that Denver Broncos team. But hey. Denver Broncos in the win column. The Minnesota Vikings in the win column. We're flying high, Brandon. We're back. We're flying high. We're back. We'll, we'll see each other in so a, back. So back. February. Woo. Hey, we'll start with November, <laughs> end up in February. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm absolutely picking up Zach Wilson off the waiver wire this week. I mean, that's that's a no-doubter against the Denver Bronco defense. First off, what is Rodney Harrison doing trying to bait Chris oh Jones? Oh, on national TV. What's he doing? I mean, what a what Honestly, a bad look for everybody what's he involved. Doing? I mean, I it was trying to make him about, about himself, which is just we don't care about like a shout out Rodney Harrison, great NFL career, um, great person to be in that, that that kind of analyst situation. In that moment, we don't care about you, Rodney. We care about Chris Jones. I mean, look we, at this guy. He's what a what a game. Yeah. You have one of the best players in the NFL right there. Look, Zach Wilson deserves his lumps most part, but like he did play, he had one fumble, but he played a fine football game. He gave his team a chance to win. He outplayed Mahomes, Mm -hmm. which is wild. Mahomes was turnover happy. Yeah, he really was. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's what we're trying to do there. Rodney Harrison. And that and that's a BYU legend right there. Absolutely, as well. we love our Zach Wilson. Absolutely, BYU legend. Um, I mean, I I get it. the NFL just couldn't have the the Chiefs lose that game. I get it. You know, tough look for for everybody involved. Um, yeah. What what are what where are we at on Taylor Swift? I mean, this is she is. Uh, you know, I mean, this the arguably the biggest pop star in the world, and she is just overtaken this NFL season with dating travis kelsey a reporter it's it's disgusting to me because i would i would just like to have i would just like to have one thing in this world drew russell that doesn't get tainted by the chiefs i used to like football well now the Kansas City chiefs win all the football games i used to like explosive um shifty um improvisation improvis uh, improv like quarterbacks and well now patrick Mahomes is the is the gold standard for that so can't have that um, and then I love me some Taylor Swift, and now I can't even enjoy that because every time that I see her on my For You page or on my Twitter feed, it's because, I, of course, she's dating a Kansas City Chief. Any other team, and I'm all aboard this train, 
Um, but if she does put out a diss track about Kansas City, that will make up for all of this this pent up frustration. Now, I didn't even think about the diss track for Kansas City, like because yeah, for some reason, I don't think it'll end badly. I feel like it's just a fling, casual enough, whatever. But like, yeah, if it becomes serious, it becomes ugly. Oh man, you can't tell me come December, January, that one could be really interesting. Imagine yeah, a team running out to a diss anthem of the Kansas City Chiefs from Taylor Swift in January. Like just a, a, a Taylor Ooh. Swift banger talking about like, well, your barbecue isn't even that good. Or your kingdom sucks. I'm Red and yellow, what are you, McDonald's? I don't know. She does it better than me. But that would that's a winning formula for me. That's how I come out of this on, on top. I'll I'll fight Taylor on the KC barbecue because it is delicious. But you know what? I you know what? Maybe she's on to something. On the I other mean, stuff. It, Not the barbecue though. I'll fight the barbecue. That is some top-notch stuff. Yeah. You know, tough to argue the barbecue there, but boy, what a what a tangent off the, the, the road less taken here. Let's well, let's reel it back in. Um what looked like to be a good game for a while. <laughs> um Kansas and Texas. Uh, Texas ended up winning that game 40, 40 to 14. Um, Quinn Ewers, uh, another solid night, 325 yards through the air. Outstanding job um, running the, the football for Jonathan Brooks, over 200 rushing yards, and his two scores on 21 carries. Outstanding stuff for him. Um, no uh, no Daniels for, for Kansas, so that that was disappointing. How would you feel about that game as, as it got underway? Yeah, I mean, when – you know, it's kickoff. I'm thinking, let's. This could be a pretty interesting game this afternoon. And you get that information that Daniels does enough to his back that he can't play for the game. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Like that takes so much air out of a locker room. And even though I thought Kansas competed well for a quarter plus, you could tell just at times it didn't feel like the same juice was there. For say, if he is playing the football game, Texas is an outstanding team. Like they're continuing yep. to prove how good they are. And, and we he's both said in our preview show last week, Brandon, that Kansas defensively is going to have to be opportunistic. They're going to give up yards. They're going to have some, you know, things happen here and there. And they weren't able to make those plays. And I think that hurt them as well in a day where Kansas has a backup QB and they just weren't able to do enough for Kansas. No shame, really bizarre situation. Didn't play. You know, they got into the backfield quite a bit. They, they had, had sacks. They had six tackles for loss. So I think they were able to do their job at times, but Texas too much of a machine. They were on the field way longer than Kansas was. They wore them out throughout the day in that hot Austin sun. And that just kind of turned out to be kind of the difference. Yeah, and I think if you're going to go with the anti-Texas uh, anti agenda here, it will look something like, well, you got to look at what happened in the first three quarters. Kansas with the back of quarterback was keeping it pretty close with them. And you can kind of say the same thing for the Wyoming game. And you can kind of say the, you know, the same thing for a couple of different spots throughout the season for Texas. But I think that just proves how good of a team that this is, is that they're not, a, I don't think they we've seen the best version of, of this Texas offense yet. Um, maybe against Alabama, but against teams like like Wyoming and Kansas, you know, I I think they're just humming in fourth gear and doing just fine. But then, like you said, once it gets to the fourth quarter, once the football be, becomes more important, um, then you really see them 
even kind of just tease that fifth gear a little bit and then well and then it's like oh yeah this is this is why everybody thinks that they're so good this is the the gap in talent between these two programs and i think this is a good example of that it's amazing texas how they just find these running backs like it's no problem you have one they of the grow on trees. great tail but the best tailbacks the country last year in Robinson and he's doing some damage right now for the Falcons. And then you just, you think, Oh, they can't find anybody as good. Jonathan Brooks comes in and no problem. Just picks up that torch. I mean, if they didn't have Bajan Robinson last year, I'd say this is like a clear upgrade, but it's not like this guy is somehow <laughs> not as good. And yet he's great. You know, it's ridiculous. And so the fact yeah. that they keep putting I, just how high the bar is, they just fall out. Yeah, it, it, the bar is just insane in terms of the amount of talent that that program has bought in. And for the first time in a decade plus, Brandon, this program traditionally has always brought in talent. But that has not been the problem at Texas, even during their dark years. Hey, Tom Herman, and do we remember, you know, our championship level hydration levels, Brandon, where they had the P charts throughout, <laughs> um, you know, the facilities in Austin? And, you know, I personally was inspired and I was making sure that I was having championship levels of hydration for myself. Uh, I mean, look, you, you let that slip a little bit and you're a bad guy. I know that's that bad teammate. That was the big thing. Bad teammate. And we couldn't have that under the Tom Herman system. Uh, you know, the talent has never been the issue. Uh, and look, I had doubts coming into this year. I thought Texas despite all the talent coming back, they have a good QB coming back. I thought, I don't know, Steve Sarkeesian, I'm still kind of out on being the one to put this team together and gel this team together. And through five weeks, he's done a great job of doing that. Now, congratulations. They've got a fun little test coming up this Saturday in one of the great rivalries between them and Oklahoma, which we'll preview in a while. But you got to hand it to them. They're doing their job. They're executing well right now. And in a season where a lot of these, all the other big 12 teams want to see Texas not succeed and Oklahoma not succeed and, you know, kind of struggle and limp out before they go to the SEC next year. And it looks like that uh, dream is not going to become a reality as of today. You're absolutely right. And, that's been uh, obviously the, the difference with this Texas team. And it's so funny because, yeah, you, you look at this team going and it's like, well, they got 10 starters back minus B. John Robinson. And then, yeah, you, you get this new fella in and he's still an elite running back and an outstanding performance against Kansas. Um, and it's like, oh, okay. So you, the one spot that they had to, to swap out is, is still dynamic. Um, but you know that's the, the cohesion of this of, of this team that I think is so impressive, especially this team because it's so rare where you get the entire offensive line back, you get the quarterback and the entire wide receiver room back, and I think they're really taking advantage of that. There hasn't been a time this season that I've seen them look anything other than dialed in, and yeah. um, even when things aren't, even when they're not able to move the ball very efficiently, it still seems like. The only way that you're going to stop them is, is if you're just better. And there's just not that many units in, in this country that's better than that Texas offense at the moment. Yeah, offense and the defense continues to play consistent football, finding ways to get the job done. 
Only problem right now might be their field goal kicker. Uh, he uh, went to a four on Saturday. Didn't look great on a couple of those kicks, obviously, with the misses. So that's something to keep an eye on in terms of, look, if it's a 26, 30, 35, 40-point game, you're not as concerned about it. But, hey, if you want to be a great team, you're going to play in a couple of just tough matchups and close matchups. Field goal kicking often is a uh, major standpoint of and if texas doesn't have a guy that they can you know count on i think that could be a problem going forward so that's maybe some if i had to critique anything from this performance it'd be hey they're special teams just keep a small eye out for it and see if they can find improvement yeah i'll tell you what drew as a nebraska fan i i would be ecstatic with the two with a kicker going two for four like that's where we're at, and that's where we've been the last few years. Two, two of four. He made two field goals in one game. I, absolutely, yeah, you get him whatever nil deal he wants. But the uh, the other end of that uh, red river. Uh, I I don't want to even. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, Brandon, that you know I wasn't even gonna talk about that Nebraska game on Saturday. I, that doesn't <laughs> even exist. Yeah, doesn't even. Dead, exist. I tell you, it's gone. We're, Dead, we're I, on don't, to Illinois. I, I don't. Yet yet a game Saturday. I did. I don't know. Nothing yeah, about. yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you was, won. It was a bad look. You know, that was the first Nebraska game I've gotten to go see in person in years. And oh man, it was tough. But yeah, like I said, a kicker going making two field goals in one game sounds outstanding to me at this at this point. But obviously, not not the worst thing with that football team. But the other end of that Red River rivalry, Oklahoma also played over the weekend. Um, we'll just breeze through through this game. We won't harp too much. Fifty to to twenty win against uh, the premier school in the state of Iowa, Iowa State. Um, any real, real real surprises there? Not really any surprises. Stunning offensive shootout in the first half. There were a ton mm-hmm. of points, and OU's defense is legit. They played great in the second half. They so. But Iowa State really was able to move the football in the first half, which was quite surprising and putting up 20. Uh, They looked comfortable. They did a nice job. And, you know, it seems that pass first offense seems to have done some wonders, even established the running game. But give Oklahoma credit. Uh, Their offense really played good football. Uh, Iowa State's kind of struggled in the defensive department the last couple of weeks when you consider the talent and uh, Dylan Gabriel was great. Weapons were great. And OU, you know, we both expected him to kind of take care of business. I kind of thought it'd be the other way where they hold Iowa State to six and, you know, they put up 30, you know, 24 to 31 range. And, you know, instead it was their offense that just went out and shoot the way that game went. I thought they're going to put up 70, 75. So, um, OU offensively really knows how to get it done, Brandon. And defensively, much improved from a year ago. In fact, the first half was by far their worst defensive half of football for the year, uh, but they cleaned it up in the second half. And Iowa State valiant effort in the first half, couldn't find anything in the second half, and they're going to have to go back to the drawing board before uh, you know a homecoming game this week against TCU. Yeah, 60 points in the first half. At first I thought I was watching an SEC football game out there, but then the, the defense is kind of dialed in. Um Pretty well, so okay. Well, that now this is the Big Twelve football that I've, I've, I've come to to love there. But yeah, I am impressed with, with Iowa State's offense. That that'll be a fun one this week uh, in Ames. Um, another one that's um, kind of handed in a way that I didn't really expect it to. Um, Houston and Texas Tech. Texas Tech with their backup quarterback now. Um, 
showing up 49 28 win over newly in state rival uh houston um did you catch much of this game you know caught just a little bit brandon and pretty surprised mm-hmm. at the final score when you know houston i mean donovan smith had a first half he had four touchdown passes in the first half he played yeah. great for houston and and i mean his final numbers were definitely satisfactory they were able to move the football at a a really good rate but you know texas tech was able to find a couple touchdowns in the second half they were able to find a couple stops a couple big plays and and find a way to get it done with their backup quarterback and you know for houston the way that they played the first half i thought they had a decent shot at maybe stealing a win in lubbock Uh, but tech was able to find a way they were the more talented team on the field uh, just from a personnel standpoint and got a desperately needed win. I mean, that one, they had to win Brandon. Otherwise things are kind of, you know, you just, it's college football. And if you lose a lot, a fan base can turn on you pretty quick and been a tough season for tech. So, you know, I th- I'm sure some jittery moments at times, better team one, zero question about that. Uh, Houston's going to have to figure out a way to improve though in the coming years, because definitely they're not at the level right now. I think they need to be to compete at a high high rate in the big 12. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a a tale of, of where these two teams are at. You look at Texas tech with their backup quarterback now being thrusted into action, not a great start so far coming into the game one and three. And then um, you get Texas, uh, Houston, who's coming in, and they play a really good game. Like I, I'm sure, whatever their, their offensive or whatever their game plan throughout the whole game, this is probably what it looks like. I mean, you get nearly 500 yards of offense. You you win the time of possession battle. You win the first down battle. You don't turn the football over, and then you, you still lose by three touchdowns, and that's that's a, a bit debilitating. But like you said, that's just where the, the a talent gap kind of comes into to, to play. Um, a couple of special teams moments there for, for Texas Tech being the difference. But if you're looking for from the eyes of a Houston fan, you're thinking, dang, we, we played a pretty good game um, offensively and defensively and still couldn't get the job done against a, a team with, with Texas Tech. And also shout out Baron Morton. He was solid, you know, seven yards a, a completion, 121 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions being, being the big part two different hundred yard rushers and Cameron Valdez and Taj Brooks. So they were really, you know, just efficient and special teams being the difference there, block punt, Danny kickoff return for a touchdown, kind of breaking that, that game open. But uh, like you said, if this game goes a different way, it's really panic mode for Texas tech. They needed this game more than, more than Houston did for sure. Yeah, no question about it. And it shows the importance of special teams. Like, you can have a great offense for a night or a great defense for a night, or you can combine the two together. But those three facets, when you get that special teams going, you can kind of put them, get them all together as just one thing you can kind of rely and depend on. And, you know, I think that is so, you got to have all three facets. And for Texas Tech, look, they knew they had their backup quarterback in. So they knew offensively they weren't going to be perfect at times. Defensively, They've had some struggles this season, and we saw that throughout the first half, but they were able to shore it up in the second half. But special teams, I always say, is such a backbreaker for teams. You give up a special teams touchdown backbreaker, and if you score a special teams touchdown, 
your sideline goes nuts. What a confidence booster. So again, for Texas Tech, they don't give one rip how they find wins right now. They were able to find a win, a needed win at home. Maybe you build off this. Maybe they come out flat once again in their next game. But again, whatever you can get right now, whatever you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Final two games, real barn burners here in the in the Big Twelve slate. Well, we'll start with the uh, the night game, West Virginia, four and one now, two and zero in the conference, stealing a win against uh, TCU, who is a pretty big favorite coming into this game. Um, and you talk about special teams, two blocked kicks um, for TCU. They had an opportunity to tie the football game, not once but twice. Both of those kicks get blocked at the line of scrimmage. West Virginia pull, pulls it out. And West Virginia, boy, we talked about Neil Brown having possibly the hottest seats of, of any Big 12 coach coming into this year. Uh, that it's, I mean, he's probably front runner for Big 12 coach of the year candidate at this point. It's it, pretty amazing for a team that was picked 14th dead last in the preseason polls to come on out and win their first two Big 12 games. They lose week one against Penn State. No shame there. Penn State is an excellent football team so far this year. Since then, four straight wins. You beat your hated rival at home. You win a couple of conference games. And you got to hand it to them. This was a contrast of styles on Saturday night where, look, TCU wants to open this game up. They want to make this game look pretty. They want high levels of execution. Look. So does West Virginia want high levels of execution, but they wanted to muddy that game up. They did not want that to be pretty whatsoever. And that's exactly what they got. Look, QB play was nothing outstanding for West Virginia, but Garrett Green was able to, in general, take care of the football. Defensively, they did a great job with five sacks, the nine tackles for loss. They muddied it up. They were able to get those block kicks. And, you know, I when I was watching the end of that football game, I thought I, I thought TCU was still going to find a way to pull it out at the very end. And West Virginia was able to find a way to absolutely steal one at the end of the game and, and walk out of there as a road winner. And if you told me at the beginning of the year that West Virginia is going to beat TCU – on the road, I would have said absolutely no chance. I really would have. TCU, no way. But they won time of possession. They were able to do what they wanted to do. Really, you know, tip of the cap to West Virginia because I don't know how they're doing it sometimes. And yet here they are at 4-1 and one where who knows how the rest of the season plays out. But, you know, they get to a bowl game. I think Coach Brown is going to get another year, and I think he earned that an extra year too. Yeah, and just looking at, at how the season has unfolded so far here, and I'll grant it, it's early, but it looks very familiar to the formula that, that TCU had had last year. Now, granted, you, you swap, you know, Penn State for you know a one and eleven Colorado team, but once you get past that, you know, they both beat up on a on an FCS group of five team. Then they both beat a, a pretty heated rival in, in in a big game, TCU beating SMU last year, and then West Virginia beating on, on Pittsburgh this year. Uh, then you pick up a, a couple of conference games that you weren't expected to win, including, you know, TCU beat up on, on Oklahoma last year. And now back-to-back weeks, West Virginia picks up wins straight up as underdogs against Texas Tech and TCU. You know, um, 
and one possession games were, were, were the difference last year for, for TCU. And if, you know, this is kind of the, the style that West Virginia plays, if they can kind of have that, that same kind of luck and that same kind of um, success in those one score games, watch out. Yeah. That's, I think the big thing. And, you know, sometimes in life, like those one score games can go either way. And sometimes you're on the right end. Sometimes you're on the wrong end. West Virginia's been on the wrong end, I think, in a decent chunk of those games the last two years. So for them to find a way to get these W's is, I think, just big for the confidence of this program, uh, especially considering just how things have gone. And even though that schedule uh, hasn't been easy to kind of begin the year, I mean, they do have a schedule kind of the rest, rest of the way that's not as of right now, devastating. Uh, and their next game's at Houston, which road games are never easy in the conference, but Houston is still a team that's trying to find that footing. So this is a pretty exciting time in general uh, for West Virginia football, something I think we both would agree we were not necessarily expecting to say preseason. You're absolutely right, and I'm all here for it. I think... If West Virginia, you know, emerges as a dark horse contender, I think that's even better for the conference. The more hateful eight teams that can spoil it for Oklahoma or Texas, I think that's the winning formula here for Big 12 sickos like us. Um, another uh, feels like a kind of a Big 12 sickle game if you were dialed into this one, but ended up being the, the probably one of the more intriguing games in all of the country in Central Florida hosting Baylor. Um, jumping out to a huge lead. What was a 35 to 7 lead? Yeah in the third quarter and still couldn't hang on. Baylor picks up their second win of the season first in big 12 play. Oh, wow. What a, what a game. You know, Brandon, I know I'm a very highly paid personality here, so don't be upset with me when I saw the halftime score caught some of the first half. I went out and played some golf. I thought it was done. (laughs) Didn't check the score. So, well, I get back to watch some of the Saturday night games considered how I was absolutely stunned at the bottom of the score ticker on the TV. When I saw Baylor 36 central Florida 35. And I thought, how on earth did they get back into this football game? And it is pretty amazing when you just see how it just broke it down. They get a block field goal to hit, you know, near the end of the game and, and to keep central Florida from taking one at the very end. And, Boy, for Baylor, what a season-saving win, Brandon. I mean, this was a game they were absolutely horrible in the first half. And, I mean, this was still in the third quarter, end of the third quarter. It was 35-10. to 10. And Baylor goes out and scores 26 points in the fourth quarter to find a way to get into it. Absolutely magical stuff that not even Walt Disney could have come <laughs> up with. Yeah, I mean, even as uh, as late as 37 seconds left to go in the third quarter, UCF had a 99.9% chance to win. Um, second and 10 at the, at the Baylor 19, uh, up 25 points. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that's what, what led to the uh, – that, that led to a blocked field goal there. It's turned the tide for, for Baylor, but, man, what a, what a change of emotions because you're looking at the scoreboard as a Baylor fan – Thinking, I don't know if Dave Aranda is going to win, is, is going to make it to the end of the season at this point. 
I mean, just what a gut-wrenching first half. And really, I, I like I said, I only saw highlights and kind of watched the, 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 the condensed game. So, And that's tough to get kind of a, a real momentum and a, and in a different view of the game. But, man, it they just looked like, like not like a third-year coach should look like. And especially one that's already had prior success and had a couple of big years. Um, but man, what a what a change of emotions! Because then you, you pull off that win, and you know what? I'm sure that there was conversation like, hey, "Well, let's just give Rand another extension here." Granted, you probably come down from that high pretty quickly, but what a what a turn of a uh, turn of the tide. Yeah, just when you think our, our beloved Gustavo Malzahn, he he's rocking, he's rolling, everything is just dandy in Orlando. Uh, this is a pretty bitter pill to swallow, especially in your Big 12 home opener. It's mm-hmm. just not fun whatsoever. And look, Central Florida, I've been pretty high on in this podcast. And I felt great when I picked them uh, last week. Felt great first half. So again, pretty stunning collapse in that fourth quarter. Baylor, a couple passing touchdowns, that fumble recovery for a touchdown. And they didn't quit. And that's oftentimes the most important thing. Do not quit on yourself and your team. Baylor didn't. Central Florida clearly did not execute to the standard that they needed to. Uh, Shoot, they could have semi-executed that fourth quarter, and they're going to find a way to come out of there with a victory, but they didn't. And absolutely gave one away, but Baylor took it away too. They were given that opportunity, and they took it. So a big credit to Baylor for not giving up for Central Florida. These are the type of losses that can really, you know, if you really don't set a standard in the locker room this week or next couple weeks, can really affect a season. Losses can pile up, so they've got to be careful. Yeah, Gustavo's got his work cut out for him for sure. But uh, if we know good old Gustavo, he'll 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 get get right this week. But you know, if if you do wanna want to take some 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 pride in this game, they were. Beating up on Baylor, pretty yeah. good there. While while while, while momentum, what was still up in the air, and they took advantage of that. And I, I, I it's you're not going to be able to tell this to a UCF fan, but there's a lot of good that came from that game. And if I'm a, a from my seat, not as a UCF fan, I'm feeling really good about the Golden Knights going forward, even with that disastrous loss. Yeah, well, and they, I mean, they didn't have you know Plumley still hurt, so mm-hmm. you know you're running with a backup quarterback who played pretty admirable uh for sure but again you know for those guys in the locker room you got a good football program or good culture or great culture i mean those moral victories don't mean a thing like that's you play three great quarters of football but if you play one horrible one that can cost you and that's exactly what happened to them so yeah there's a lot of positive stuff to take away for central florida as well i fully agree with that but They've got to also know we blew a 25-point lead at home in the fourth quarter, and they've got to really stress that. So, you know, this week of practice, you know, well underway already, but I'm sure it's been discussed. Um, You know, if they're kind of letting that say, oh, it happens, you know, we played well, we'll go get them next week, that's not going to be a winning message. And again, that's I don't that's happening, but still, you've got to be careful for sure. Absolutely right. And I don't think that Gustavo will take this lightly. We know Gustavo. Uh, he's not going to gonna have his guys hey, dialed in. Uh, 
that that man Brandon, he uh he he coached up in Northwest Arkansas and uh you know, you you live down in Dallas. You know how big of a deal high school football is in Dallas and the entire state of Texas and there's no bigger place in the country when it comes to high school football than than Texas and and all that. But I got to say Northwest Arkansas, some of those big boys schools over there they don't they mess around it. whatsoever, and it's pretty. They go after it. So uh, our beloved Gus, <laughs> A.K. Gustavo, uh, he knows what pressure's like, uh, and he knows what those big boys can do up in Northwest Arkansas. You're absolutely right. But all in all, an outstanding weekend here. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what to expect this week. Uh, Red River rivalry going on, um, and a couple of real big games and, and big pro play. We're in the thick of it. But anything else that you'd like to add before we, we sign off here, Mr. Russell? Hey, calendar is flipped to October. And big shout as well to my beloved Minnesota Twins. We broke a 19-year uh, losing streak, 18 straight games. Hadn't won a playoff game in 19 years. That was broken this week. I, for one, am ecstatic and uh, hope the good luck continues. Absolutely. Also, shout outs now currently Brocktober. Yeah, another outstanding game in uh, out in the Bay. Hey. You know what? This is Big 12 related because he's an Iowa State alum. Is this guy actually going to win MVP? MVP? That's all I'm hearing. I, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. But I, it, it's crazy to me that the, the amount of folks uh, I'll see online talking about that he's not a good quarterback. And it's like, he, we haven't seen anybody else be this good in this system ever. Right. And yeah, I grant he's got Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, Samuel and but so did Jimmy Garoppolo. So did Trey Lance. So did T.J. Beathard, that other quarterback out east. You know, I definitely couldn't see a yeah. quarterback from Eastern Iowa do this. And, of course, it's Eastern Iowa fans who are, who are putting this agenda out there. But, yeah, he's been really good. And, I mean, yeah. I I don't know what, what, what the complaints are there. Yeah, he's been – I'll give uh, credit where it's due, Brandon. I mean, I uh, – I had my doubts as his, his him as an yeah. NFL quarterback, super composed, hyper smart. You knew he was going to do his homework, but I didn't think he had it. I'll be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I, Outstanding stuff. And, and kudos, kudos, kudos to Brock Purdy. And kudos to the team out East as well for putting up 26 points this week. We got this, Brian. We're going to get that contract. Pay Brian Barrett. Whether the special teams has to do it every single week like they've been doing. I mean, Cooper hey, DeGene points points. legit Cooper DeGene legit deserves 100, 200 grand of that contract <laughs> going forward. That kid is might somehow save that man, but I don't know about job, but at least his paycheck. Absolutely. Well, perfect. We'll wrap things up here. We'll be back later this week. Uh, some previews, Red River, outstanding stuff going on here. We'll be back later this week.